honestly. You may be seated. Uh, I was taking this out and getting this hooked up, and the person was standing here going, oh, we're in trouble tonight because I got power to keep the battery from running down. <laughs> Hallelujah. So uh, we're going to do a couple of things tonight. Um, i tell you what I really felt to do. Uh, I, I announced I was going to teach on the millennial kingdom, but I'm going to do that and something else. Okay? Uh, again, I, I, I'm trusting you, Adam, to make sure that when I'm using this, it's being recorded. Okay? Uh, one, of the, one of the things I'm doing here tonight is this. There's been some questions lately about what uh, app I use, et cetera, et cetera. And some of you have never had the interest in really learning to do something like this. So I'm not going to explain all of it while I'm doing it, but I want, I want you, I'm go, you're going to see me use the app. Okay? There are people in this room that are probably more proficient at it than I am. Uh, on this particular app, but um, I'm adequate enough. I actually use um, several different apps regularly. Uh, the the uh, first one is the uh, Olive Tree app. The uh, Second one is Mantis Study Bible. I'll explain what I use these primarily for. There's a strong concordance app. And then this is a new one. It's called uh, Touch Bible Loaded. It was free. And uh, if you see this, this is actually one of those where you can, uh, you can, th this is King James with Strong's and you can, you can touch it, and it's it's free. It's not a, You can buy some extra things uh, for it, but uh, I haven't used it much. But I got it because of the fact that I, the Apple the, either I don't know how to do it, or the the iPad doesn't like allow you to have multiple screens in an app open simultaneously, like you can do on a PC Study Bible. So I use multiple apps for different functions so that I can uh, have these working at the same time. So I got this one recently. I haven't done a whole lot with it except that it is, um, it, it's a King James version that, that, uh, that I can use. It's got more tools with it. I haven't learned it very much. I use Mantis Study Bible almost exclusively for all searches in English. It's really easy to use. It's quick. Uh, you do have to spell correctly. Uh, you have to spell the exact word you want correctly. Now, there are some options with this uh, that I, you can use. You can use... Uh, uh, it won't expand. The first one it says is all words. The second one is any word. 
any of the words. The second one is exact, the third one's exact match. So depending on what I'm looking for, I will put different combinations in there. And the reason I use this is because it lets, this is, the, this app is really easy to use for multiple words. For instance, uh, if I want to do a search on the kingdom of God, all I have to do is type in kingdom and God and do a search. And it shows me that that combo is used 96 times in the Bible. As you can see, almost all of them are in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John through Revelation. So it shows me that it's used five times in in uh, uh, the uh, uh book of Matthew. The good thing about this is when you click that, it shows you the entire verse. So I don't have to open something else to read the entire verse that has those words in it. Uh, Mark has the combination in it 15 times and it, you can scroll down through that. And I can close those back up and, uh, then I can I can look how it's used in the in the epistles, Romans, First Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, First, Second Thessalonians, Second Timothy, Hebrews, and James, and then finally in the book of Revelation. Now uh, the problem is uh, it only shows the verses with this exact spelling in it. So if there's a verse that has God's kingdom, which I don't think there is, but let's see. Ah, there's two verses where God is actually in an apostrophe. See that? Uh, Luke 18, 29 has kingdom and God with an apostrophe. I don't know why 1825 is there because it doesn't have God with an apostrophe in the possessive form, but sometimes it does that. Anyway, I do most of my quick searches there. I use the Strong's so that I can look up a Strong's number. Let's do number 26, which is Agape, and then I click Greek, and it shows me all of these different ways the word Agape is used. Okay, there it is. These are all the different ways that the word agape or, or Greek number, Strong's number 26, is translated. All those different words. If I want to see the verses, I can just click out here on the side and it shows me a portion of every verse that has that Greek word in it. And again, it doesn't show the entire verse. However, if I want... I can click a particular word in a verse and it shows me that verse. Now that I'm in that verse, I can now click any word in that verse and it, uh, it lets me read, it lets me know what verses are. So it's almost, well it is, uh, it is like the touch strongs, but it's all it does. It, the King James version with, with strong switches the other verse. Now, the, the one I use 90% of the time is olive tree. And I'm going to show you tonight as I teach. I'm not here to teach how to use the app, but I'm, I just felt to do this. Uh, it's being recorded when I'm using the screen. Now, the problem is my finger 
uh, you can't see where my finger is touching. Now, if I touch tribulation, the box opens up and you'll see where the arrow is pointing. It's pointing at the word. And then I can scroll down and read what it says about the word. At the bottom, I can hit look up. And it gives me a bunch of different Greek references that I have purchased on sale. I wait for the sales. And uh, I can go into any one of them. It'll give me a different references, uh, way that they, they spell that word. I hit the arrow, come back out here. That's the concordance. The bottom left shows me all the different verses with that Greek word in it. It does, because I've got the text so large, you can't read the entire verse. But if I want to read the verse, I just touch the word and now I've got the verse and it points to, uh, that verse. And I can read, I can read the verse. And then I go back to the, uh, the word and do the search and it's not the most uh, easy to use, but it works. Uh, I am still a PC study Bible guy, and I'm on my Mac. I use uh, Parallels to run Windows to run my PC study Bible because it is the, far more advanced than this, in my opinion. But this is very, very practical. Okay, so just a little bit of that, and I may explain a little bit more while I'm doing it. But you can watch on the screen and see what I'm doing because it's critical. Now, we're going to go to Revelation chapter 19. And uh, I'm going to read a little bit. And since it's on the screen, uh, can you see that? Can you read that? I can make it larger. Seriously. Is there anybody that can't read it? Okay. All right, I'm going to read quickly since it's up to me. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying. Uh, now, let, let, let me say this about the book of Revelation. For the most part, the book of Revelation is chronological. If you do not believe in pre-tribulation rapture, that doesn't fit your doctrine. And so most people that I talk to that believes in mid or post-tribulation rapture, they try to deny the chronological nature of the book of Revelation. But there are words that are key words in the chronological sections of the book of Revelation that give you a timeline. For instance, after these things, the word, uh, it's clear, okay? There's a time, a specific time. Whatever's about to happen followed whatever preceded it. Now, there are some chapters that are parenthetical from a time perspective. One of those would be Revelation chapter 12, and I won't go into the details of that, but when you read it, it's parenthetical. It actually uh, covers Christ being born and... Uh, the, the persecution of Israel and how God spares Israel, etc., etc. So there, there are a couple of chapters that are parenthetical. That means the time's going along and then there's a pause and the Lord explains some things, big picture stuff, and then he goes back to the timeline. 
And the problem with the book of Revelation is, uh, here I am. The problem with the, the book of Revelation is that uh, we, we often do not understand the, uh, the nature of, uh, of Scripture. We, don't, we, we say we believe it's divinely inspired. And of course, 2 Timothy 3, 16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for, for what? Doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. And that doesn't mean flawless. It means completed, matured, brought to fruitfulness, thoroughly furnished or completely equipped, Unto all good works. Uh, if I had a tree laying on uh, a, a sawhorse here today, or uh, a, a yoke where you could cut a tree in pieces, and I had a uh, pocket knife, right? I could eventually cut that tree. It may take me weeks or months or years, but I could cut that tree with a pocket knife. But if I had a chainsaw, I could do it in a few moments. So the Word of God is intended to equip us so that we can be fruitful and effective. I know I've got this thing on, but I can't take it. No, I'm just going to take this off. It's just not me. It's not. <laughs> I, I, I thought I would use both hands tonight, but I'm going to hold the microphone with one hand. Sorry, Adam. Okay. So the point here is this. Your opinion and my opinion of what the Word of God says is totally worthless. If I read a verse and and somebody asks me, what do you think that means? And I begin to tell you what my opinion of that is. that That doesn't work. It's not, it's not scriptural. Paul talks about comparing spiritual things with scriptural. I think it's Isaiah that said that none shall want her mate, etc., etc. There are principles of the word of God is that the Bible interprets itself. There's always a scripture somewhere in the Bible that tells you what that verse meant. And almost always to find that verse, you have to search topically. What that means is, you look for other verses on that subject. And I'm going to show you that in a little bit here. In order to understand what a word means. So, there's way too much reading into the word. Way too many opinions. Now, as uh, Bible believers, as apostolics, whether you know it or not, we have accepted that on any topic, there's what I call primary and secondary verses. Well, there's no part of the Bible that's secondary. Yes, to a specific subject. 
A primary verse is one that directly and specifically addresses that subject. A secondary verse is one that indirectly addresses that subject. You cannot build doctrine or come up with doctrine or support doctrine off of secondary verses. Secondary verses can only confirm. They cannot tell you what a verse means or what what God's will is and understanding on a certain subject. But there are verses. There are verses that we have come to understand that are primary because they so clearly and specifically speak about a subject. For instance... Acts 2.38. If I ignore the entire rest of the Bible and only take Matthew 28.19, I will agree that that verse, standing alone, outside of the context of the Bible, seems as though it says that you should be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. But when you look at that verse in context of all other verses on the subject, it's impossible to teach that with any kind of spiritual or uh, theological integrity. Because you have to ignore way too many verses on the subject. The fact that the apostles never baptized any other way but in the name of Jesus. And there's no biblical evidence that the apostles ever baptized in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Is to let us know you cannot build a doctrine on one verse. The problem is, Matthew 28, 19 can be easily explained. But if you believe in Matthew 28, 19, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, the names of... Uh, you cannot explain away Acts 2.38, Acts, uh, what is it, 9 and uh, the first part of chapter 9, Acts chapter 10.46, I think it is, Acts 19.5 and 6, etc., etc., etc. You can't explain them away. And they directly contradict Matthew 28.19. Why would the Lord write it ambiguously? He did not write the Bible ambiguously. Matthew 28, 19 is a wonderful, wonderful verse for us that are, that believe in the oneness of God and not the Trinity. Because it didn't say in the names plural, it said in the name singular. And there's one name, it's the name of the Father, the same name is the name of the Son, the same name is the name of the Holy Ghost, which proves there's only one person of God, among other scriptures. Every topic has key or primary verses that clearly state that subject matter. The problem is false doctrine comes when people build their doctrine off of secondary verses and ignore the primary verses. Now, I got to do this like this. Okay. Come on. 
10 plus whatever you are. Apple is doing its best to turn me against them. I'm going to tell you that right now. They used to put out a good product and now it's shoddy. Full of problems. Reminds me of Windows, doesn't it? I don't know where you go now. I think they're making fun of us with their apple with the bite out of it. Now, honestly, honestly, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. There are some things I believe to be fact because there's evidence to the to the to the point. But it, I don't think it's reading too much in it to, to see an, a logo of an apple with a bite out of it and know that Steve Jobs was not only not a Christian, he was of another faith altogether. And what a way to mock Christianity, which he did, of course. So, I wanted to talk to you tonight about uh, the Millennial Kingdom. So, I'm going back to chapter 19. See there? (laughs) Thank God. Hallelujah. I'm reading in Revelation 19, verse 1 again. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven... Saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power under the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication. And hath avenged the blood of his serpents at her hand. And again they said, hallelujah, they much people. Where were they? In heaven. Okay, and again they said in her smoke, uh, excuse me, uh, verse 2, For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And the voice And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, a voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, as a voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and and rejoice, and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife, his wife, not his bride. She's already his wife. I said this last week. If this is the marriage of the bride and the lamb, that all of us are illegitimate children, it means our mother, because the church is the mother of us all, isn't married to our father before we were born. So this can't be... uh, (laughs) 
This is the marriage supper. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is coming. His wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteous of the saints. And he said unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called under the marriage supper of the Lamb. And and he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship. And he saith, said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow ser- servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy. I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness doth he judge and make war. And his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were, and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them, shall rule them with a rod of iron and he treadeth the wine press, press of the fiercest and the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his name, on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather thyselves together under the supper of the great king that ye may eat of the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them. And the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. And these were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat on upon the horse which which sword proceeded out of his mouth and all the fowls were filled with the flesh. Now starting with... uh, Okay, there's a description, starting in verse 11, of an event. The event of the Lord Jesus Christ leaving heaven, coming to the earth to defeat armies gathered together against Israel. From other verses, we find out they are they are camped in the valley of Megiddo, which is outside of Jerusalem. It's a valley 200 miles long. Ten miles wide. And when they are slain here, the book of the the Old Testament says, the horse, the the blood will flow in the valley of Megiddo to the depth of the horse's bridle. Now, this is the second coming. Oh, but wait a minute. How did those people... In verse 1, get there. And who were they? If this is the second coming, 
And there were much people in heaven saying hallelujah. Then there are people in heaven before the second coming. Who were they? And the armies that came. Uh, that came with him. Verse 11. And I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he that sat upon was called, was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judge and make war. His eyes flame of fire, etc., etc., etc. And the armies, verse 14, which were in heaven, followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Wait, 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 wait. Verse 8 says, And to her was granted his wife, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And 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 the armies, verse 14, which were in heaven, followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Who were they? The church. Wait, the church was already in heaven. At the second coming, the church comes back with him to culminate the seven years. You know what? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Angels usually appear, when they appear strictly as angels, uh, white. They're white. But no place does it say they have white garments. But we just read, again, we're letting the the Bible interpret itself here. We just read that uh, uh, verse 5, is it 5 or 6? Where is it? Oh, okay, verse 8. And to her was granted, her, his wife, who's already in heaven because the marriage supper has taken place. And there's the voice of much people in heaven at the beginning of chapter 19. And then this army that comes back with him, they're riding on horses. And they're clothed with fine linen. And they participate in the second coming. Scripture says the Lord's going to come with ten thousands of ten thousands of his saints. That word is never used in reference to angels. Ever used in reference to angels. Well, wait, wait a minute, brother, right? You said that's the second coming. Oh, yeah, that's the second coming. But let's let the Bible tell us about this. Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge, notice, please, the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Oh, no, he's just explaining it two ways. No, he's not explaining it two ways. How do I know that? Hey, here comes the app. You ready? I touch appearance. 
Hey, let me get it up a little bit here. I touched the word appearance. And then it's the Greek word from which we get the word epiphany. It's the advent of Christ. The appearing or appearance, often used in glorious whatever. And so now watch this. You ready? I just touched the concordance. And guess what? 2 Thessalonians 2 and 8 says that the Lord will consume the wicked with the spirit of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Okay. All right. So the brightness of his coming. But let's look at this now. 1 Timothy uh, 6.14 says that thou shalt keep his commandments without spot and unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who was he speaking this verse to? Okay. Matthew, Mark, and John are not addressed to anybody. There's no salutation. The book of Luke and the book of Acts, both written by Dr. Luke, were written to a specific individual whose name was Theophilus. Theophilus is not a Hebrew name. It's a Greek name. And it means literally, friend of God. Look it up. Luke was a Gentile. He traveled in company with Paul. He was a Gentile doctor. I don't know how advanced medicine was at the time, but he apparently was a doctor of medicine who became a disciple of the Apostle Paul, the Lord Jesus Christ, through following the Apostle Paul. And he wrote a gospel to Theophilus. And he wrote the book of Acts as a second treatise. To Theophilus. The gospel of Luke gave, gave Luke's understanding of the events of Christ's life and ministry, etc., 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 death, burial, resurrection, ascension. And the second treatise gave, gave uh, Luke's uh, understanding and experience of the history of the church and of Paul's ministry. While the apostles were obviously very important, and the apostles of the Lamb were very important. After chapter 9, or actually, excuse me, after chapter 10 of the book of Acts, the focal point of the book of Acts is no longer any of the 12. The sh- it shifts to the apostle Paul. So, 1 Timothy is written to Paul's son in the gospel, not to Gentile, not, excuse me, not to Jews. It was not written in general to anybody. It was written specifically to Timothy and in general to the church. Because this letter was passed around to the churches, even though it was addressed to Timothy, they passed these letters of Paul around to people. 
to churches so they could read these. Because Peter acknowledges before the Bible's, what we call the Bible's even completed, that they, they considered the writings of the Apostle Paul to be divinely inspired. Book says that. Peter's quoted as saying that. In his first epistle, I believe it is. So, Paul writing to Timothy specifically, and to the church in general said, verse 13, I give thee charge of the sight of God who quickeneth all things before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which in his time shall, he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Hey, that sounds like the name that was written on his thigh when he burst out of heaven with his army behind him. Why? Because the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ is when he raptures the church. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is when he sets up his millennial kingdom. Notice a couple of other uh, uh, scriptures here. So you can see how how often this word appearing is used in reference to the church. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1 verse 10. Uh, I can't read. I want to read all that, but I'm not going to. Uh, I will. I'll read fast. <laughs> be, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by, by the appearing of our Lord, our, our our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death, hath brought light and the immortality of light through the gospel. Oh wait, there were two appearings. One at the beginning of the church, and one at the end of the church's time on earth. So, we will go a little farther here. How about... Uh, First or second, I just read that one, Second Timothy. How about Second Timothy 4 verse 8? Listen now. Verse 7, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me, me, a crown. Can you, I don't know if you can read that or not. The Greek word there's pronounced Stephanos. It was not a diademia, a crown of royalty, but it was a victor's crown. It this word was originally used of the prize given to those who won in the Greek Olympics. It was a victor's, it was a sign of the victor that you had won the victory. Notice who it was promised to. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but all, unto all them also that love his, his what? Not his second coming. 
disappearing. Oh, Titus says this. Verse 11. Titus uh, 2 and 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto, uh, unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. The word appearing is never used synonymously with the second coming, which is to establish his kingdom. Never. And it's never used in reference to any saved people except the church. But let's look at this again now. Okay? Second Timothy 4 verse 1. And notice this. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall what? He shall judge, this is King James. He shall judge the, the living. See it? To live, to breathe, be among the living. He shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. There are three last day judgments. Only in the first two are both the living and the dead judged. Not in the third. Because there will be no dead. Because every single soul, and I read that last week, but I'll read, I'm going to read it again in a minute. Every single soul is going to be resurrected. There will only be living at the great white throne judgment. There will not be any dead. And as I said last week, uh, at the appearing, the judgment is that both those that are in Christ alive and those that are in Christ dead shall be resurrected uh, and, uh, and be raptured. Hang on a minute. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, but you, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Why is it called sleeping here? Because for for all mankind actually, but especially for the church, it is only temporary. Even for those that have been dead 2,000 years in the church, it's only temporary. When you lay down at night, you don't expect to sleep the rest of eternity. In fact, even if you don't want to get up at 6... You expect probably to be up by noon. I mean, hunger alone is going to get you up. 
Right? That's why it's called breakfast or breaking your fast. Because from the time you lay down, you don't eat or drink anything for the next five, six, eight, ten hours. Isn't it amazing that most younger people sleep longer than us older folks? Not because there's something wrong with them. Come on now, you old folks. You used to do it too. I've said this before, you know, I'm 70, and if I sleep eight hours a night for the next 10 years, that means I will have slept three and a half years of my next 10. No, thank you. Sleep's overrated. Even if I only sleep six hours a night, I'm sleeping two and a half years of my next 10. And trust me, at 70, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do David's way of counting now. Pastor Wright. It's less than two months till I'm 71, but I'm 70. Let's don't rush it. You know, you know why they say when you get older, it's not how old you are, it's how young you are. Because you don't count forward now. You don't want to count forward. You want to count back. Whoo, look how long I've made it. Thank God I made it that long. Yeah. So, verse, verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them, which also, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that they which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the appearing, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead of, in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So therefore, the rapture, what we call the rapture, which is not a specifically biblical word, the Greek word uh, that refers to what we call the rapture literally means the catching away. So, it's like the word great tribulation is no place in the Bible where it calls those seven years great tribulation. So there's, the word rapture is not in the Bible. It's the appearing in his kingdom. And uh, both of them are comings. The first one is secretive. The second one, everyone will know. Um, but here's the point. Again, first or second Timothy Chapter 4, verse 1. The Lord Jesus Christ shall judge the quick, the living, and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So both of these will judge both those that are alive and those that are dead. How is that the case? Well, at the rapture of the church or the catching away of the church... The dead in Christ are going to rise. We which are alive and remain will not prevent them which are asleep. 
they will, they actually will rise before we do. Because we will simultaneously meet them in the air and they've got an extra step to get there. So we will meet them there. So, the rapture is a judgment of the quick and the dead. Because if you're alive and you're not in Christ, you get to stay here. Now, I've said this before, and I don't want to get into it deeply tonight because it's not the focus of the subject. Maybe sometime in the future I'll have the opportunity to do that. But it is not only a judgment of the quick and the dead because if you're not in Christ, you're left behind. But if you're ever, you've ever been in Christ, you are not left behind. You are taken to a place of judgment. I'll read that to you in a moment. No one that's ever been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost who has chosen not to live for God will be given a chance to give your head in during the seven years of tribulation or the time of Jacob's trouble or uh, Daniel's 70th week or both more biblical terms for it. No one's going to be given that opportunity. There's no, there's no way of saying, okay, well, I, I, I can't live this, but... Maybe I can do this. No. If you can't live the way the Lord wants you to live with the power of the Holy Ghost here and now, how do you think you're going to be willing to let your head be cut off when there's no Holy Ghost to empower you? You're kidding, right? Yourself, that's who you're kidding. How does he judge the quick and dead of his kingdom? Well, obviously... When he comes back with the church, according to Revelation 19, uh, there's going to be a whole lot of people that's going to die. But also, as I will read in a moment in uh, Revelation chapter 20, those who were beheaded in that period of time will be resurrected at his kingdom, at his coming in his kingdom. According to Revelation 7, which is a parenthetical chapter, uh, they will be, they will be resurrected. How do I know that? I'm reading now Revelation chapter 20 verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Now notice, please, verse 20 of chapter 19, And the beast was taken, that's the Antichrist, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. These are the two first two humans to be cast into the permanent place of torment. No humans will be in the permanent place of torment until after the great white throne judgment except these two. Because their sins are so egregious. That when they are defeated... 
at the second coming for the kingdom. They will be immediately. I thought I turned that off. Would you turn that down or click it off? Thank you. They, they went, when they are defeated, they will be immediately taken. Bypass, go, bypass the great white throne judgment. They, they are human beings that gave themselves over to Satan to represent him and his kingdom on earth. The Antichrist is not an angel. Antichrist is a human being. And he is so malevolent. Is that the word? That he and the one who was the religious leader who worked miracles to confirm that he was the Christ. That the Antichrist was really the Christ. The false prophet worked miracles as a sign to confirm to the world that the Antichrist was really the Christ. So the two of them were so evil. They're the only humans that didn't have to stand before God at the great white throne judgment. And they are in eternal torment for a full thousand years before any other humans. The last part of verse 20. These both were cast alive in the lake of fire burning with brimstone and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse which proceeded out of the mouth of, out of his mouth and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. And set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. Here it is. And I saw thrones and they that sat upon them. Who are they? I have to go back to Revelation 4 and 5 to find out who that is. It's, the, it's figuratively the number 24 elders. The Greek word is presbyterios, which is translated elder. And that word was never anywhere in the Bible used in reference to human beings. These were people in heaven sitting on thrones with Stephanos, crowns on their heads. I'll read it in a minute. Sitting on thrones around the throne of heaven. With the one sitting on the throne and they're sitting on thrones. And judgment was given unto them. And, notice this, I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived... So they were dead. But at this moment, at the, at the second coming for the kingdom to be established, they were resurrected to participate in the millennial kingdom. Notice this. But the rest of the dead live not again 
until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, (laughs) if we go back and find out who the book of Revelation was written to, it's pretty clear. Revelation chapter 1 verse 1. It always helps when you're trying to understand the Bible The Bible acknowledges who stuff is written to. Matthew, Mark, and John were not addressed to anyone because they apply to everybody. Now, there are some theologians that believe the book of Matthew was primarily written to Jews. I believe that, but it's not because it specifically states that. It's just, it's the, it's the one of the four gospels that is more directed to things a Jew would be aware of. Mark is a more general gospel. John is a completely different gospel. There's very little, uh, duplication of of scenes and situations in John compared to the other three. We know that the book of John, the gospel of John, is very, very heavy into declaring the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, guess who is the scribe or the writer of the book of Revelation? John. He was the last of the twelve alive, and he was on the Isle of Patmos, and he received the revelation. It is not the book of Revelations, plural. There's no S anywhere in this, in the entire book, in reference to revelations. So notice, what did I say? Huh? Okay, all right. I missed it. I'll have to listen and see what was funny about that. Okay, that's like me a couple two two services ago talking about um, the guy with five got five more. He made rule over ten cities, and then the guy with two got two more. And he was made rule over ten cities. And I'm thinking, no, he wasn't. It was four. How did your mind was too far ahead of where you were going? Should have listened to what you're saying. Anyway. Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Who bear record of the word of God, and I believe that's Logos, it is. Who bear record of the word of God, and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth. Why should I read the Bible? Because there's a blessing on it. Well, I don't read the book of Revelation, it doesn't make sense to me. Blessed is he that readeth what? This book. 
Yeah, that's true about the Bible in general, but it's the, there's blessing on those that read this book. Blessed is he that read it, and they that hear the words of the prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John, to whom? To the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace be unto you, and peace from him which was, which is, and which was, and which is to come. Who is that? Now, wait a minute. The I am God can't be the one who is, was, and is to come. Can't be. There's no way to you. He's the I am God. He can't be one that was and is and is to come. Can't be. So this has to be a direct reference to the Logos. Which is the I am God injected into time and space. And since the I am or the, the logos, the one that was made flesh, can, can be a part of time and space. He can be the one that was, is, and in the, is to come. Two different gods? No, God in two different dimensions. The infinite God cannot be a part of the finite without ceasing to be infinite. So the infinite God needed a way whereby he could participate in the finite. What's finite? Anything measured by time and space. And even though the word infinite means at all times present simultaneously and in every space present simultaneously... It's, you're still defining it by time and space. You cannot define the I am God as infinite. You can only define the Spirit of God as applied to through the Logos into the world as at all times and places simultaneously. John of the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you in peace from him which was, is, and which was, which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, notice, it doesn't say Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because this is a direct reference to his humanity. And from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, now, I like this. King James says it this way. I don't know why. Almost other other translations says it differently. And the prince of the kings of the earth. But look at what the word prince means. A ruler, commander, chief, leader. Prince implies potential. But the Greek word implies no such thing. And if you'll notice, and I will show this to you. The Amplified, which is the original Amplified, says, uh, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful and trustworthy witness, the firstborn of the dead, first to be brought back to life, and the prince or ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who ever loves us and has once for all loosed and freed us from our sins by his own blood. Uh, how about weasts? Uh, 
we says, and from Jesus Christ, the trustworthy, dependable witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us, set us free from our sins. Suffice it to say, I, I haven't checked every one of them, but of my 40 different translations right here. But uh, essentially, I, I'd almost bet money, but I'm not going to, I'm not a betting person, so I can't do that. That every one of them does not, not one of them says prince in this context. Because he is the ruler. He is resurrected to rule the kings where? Of what? Of the earth. What is this talking about? This is talking about the millennial kingdom. Oh, before we go there, let's go back to the birthday of the church. Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them, they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, listen now, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That is the faith of the Jews. They had promises that the Messiah was going to rule the earth from Jerusalem. And that Jerusalem was going to be the dominant kingdom in the earth because the Messiah was going to be a Jew in the lineage of David and would be sitting on the throne of David ruling the world. This is what they believe for. And faithful Jews still believe that. Not secular Jews. But Jews who truly believe in the teachings of Moses and the prophets and whatever. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for the kingdom. And I don't care what this administration has done to try to put Israel in a bad spot. The Lord said of Abraham, whoever blesses you, I'm going to bless Whoever curses you, I'm going to curse. And you can just mark this down in your book. I don't care what your politics are. Biblically, you don't do something to hinder Israel. That's stupid if you believe the Bible. <laughs> That's stupid. If you believe the Bible, <laughs> you don't do anything to hinder Israel. You help Israel. Because the Lord said to Abraham, whoever blesses you, I'm going to bless. Whoever curses you, I'm cursing. And any politician or government that stands against Israel, I'm not endorsing any of their doctrines or, or as far as however lifestyle they live in. Most Jews in Israel right now are more secular than they are spiritual anyway. 
But the bottom line is that's God's promised land. <laughs> and in case you don't know it or not, the president-elect has already said he's using, moving the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem. <laughs> you can say that's some kind of political thing if you want to. But let me tell you something right now. That's going to bring as much blessing on this nation spiritually as we've ever received. Because no other nation in the world is backing Israel, uh, is acknowledging that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. If I remember my geography correct, isn't Israel on the West Bank? Is it? Huh? Jerusalem, isn't it on part of the West Bank? That's why they had to capture Jerusalem in 67 after they had already been a nation 19 years. Hey, I lived through that. <laughs> it was June, the first week of June. 1967. And all those young people didn't think it was necessary to live for God. You wouldn't believe how many young people prayed through that summer in youth camps because they thought Jesus was coming any minute now that the Jews had recaptured Jerusalem. Oh, I'm serious. Thousands of backsliders prayed through that summer. Hey, the 60s were no draw then. No, sir. Uh, but here's the problem. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the hearts of the sons of men are fully set in them to do evil. They had enough faith to realize they were lost and that the rapture could take place anytime. So they came to church. But when it didn't happen, I wonder how many of them stayed. This isn't about politics, it's not about race, it's about faith. It's not. God made a promise not to a nation, but to an individual that chose him over all polytheistic systems. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. One individual believed God. And God honored that. And God said, here's my promises to you and to your offspring, your seed. Oh, man, I'm sorry. I'm getting bogged down here. Revelation 1, 5, and from, from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful and uh, faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, the prince or the ruler of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us Kings and us. Let's see. Who is he talking to? The church. He has made us. The church. 
kings and priests, unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so. Amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, also, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God, for the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as it were a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. John, what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, under Ephesus and Smyrna, Pergamos and under Thyatira and Sardis and under Philadelphia and under Laodicea. I won't continue reading there. I'd love to, but time's sake. I'm trying to get you out here before the new year. So, Oh, I messed up. I'm sorry. I, I, I got to do this. Revelation 4, verse 1. Revelation 4, 1. Now, the word church or churches, the Greek word is the same. In English, it's either church or churches, is used 18 times from Re- Revelation 1, 1. To Revelation 3.21. 18 times. The word is never used again. Until chapter 22 verse 16. Coincidence? Just some quirk? Some weird... Happening? Or is the Bible truly the divinely inspired word of God? Why is that the case? Because after chapter 3 verse 21, almost everything involving the church is not, the church isn't on the earth. After this I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven. The first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet taking me, talking with me, which said, come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. There's a lot of people that believe this is parallel to the catching away. I'm one of them. Which is the explanation why the word church is not used here until the very end of the book of Revelation. Because the church can't possibly be on the earth. You use the word 18 times in the first three chapters and it suddenly disappears from your vocabulary. Verse 2, and immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne, a throne, a throne, singular, was set in heaven. And one 
sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and sardin stone. Not sardine. Sardin stone. <laughs> and there was a rainbow round about the throne, which doesn't mean the same thing to then as it does today. In sight like unto an emerald. And around about the throne were four and twenty seats. Around about the throne were four and twenty seats. Oh, and by the way, the Greek word translated seats here is the same exact word translated throne. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. Now we find in Revelation 19 concerning the church what that white raiment is. It's the righteousness of the saints. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. Oh, there's the word Stephanos. Now, if you got a concordance, just look up the word Stephanos and find me any place where anybody in the book of Revelation except the 24 elders had were given a crown of Stephanos. should be simple should be simple to do if there's other places should be really easy to do it's just a simple search you just do a concordant search just do a concordant search show me any place where anybody other than these 24 elders which is a figurative number and i'll prove that in a moment sitting on these thrones in the presence of god sitting in the presence of god who in the world sits in the presence of God? Oh, the same ones. And when the day of Pentecost would fully come, they were all in one, one place. The Holy Ghost it came on them where they were sitting. Isn't that amazing? At the beginning of the church, they're sitting. At the rapture of the church, they're sitting. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning uh, before the throne. And there were seven lamp, uh, spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal in the midst of the throne. Round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes uh, before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion. The second beast was like a calf. And the third beast had a face of a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Who is that? The one that's sitting on the throne. But who is the one sitting on the throne? Whoever the Almighty is. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne and lived forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that is sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they, are, they were created. Whoever these twenty-four elders are, they were saved humans with Stephanos, victor's crowns, who fell down before his feet and cast their crowns at his feet, acknowledging that they didn't get themselves there. The time has come that judgment begin at the house of God. And it fit first begin at us, First Peter 4.17. 
If the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the sinner and the ungodly appear? And there's not one of us that's going to go to heaven with our thumbs stuck in our smelly armpits, boasting about how we got ourselves there. Chapter 5, verse 1, I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaim with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much. Because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look upon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, for the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed. David, Jesus was called the root and offspring of David. Both ends. <laughs> the originator and the son. He was before Abraham. Before Abraham was, I am. And yet he was David, the son of David. Hath prevailed to open the book and loose the seven seals thereof. And I behold, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain. And I'm going to tell you what, folks, you know, give me a break. If you've got to take this to prove your doctrine of two or more people in the Godhead, you... You, you, you really are desperate. <laughs> well, if Jesus is sitting on the throne, who's the lamb? And if the lamb is Jesus, who's sitting on the throne? The deity's on the law on the throne. The lamb of God, which is slain to take away the sins of the world, was standing there in his slain condition. Oh, and here we'll go a little farther. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits that God sent forth all the earth. If this is a literal situation, then when we get to heaven, even Mary and Magdalene and his mother's not going to recognize him. Where'd you get those other five eyes? <laughs> what are those horns? I thought the devil's one had horns. It's figurative. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him and sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell before the lamb, down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast past tense, not future tense, not you will redeem us. You have redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. And there's a whole lot more than 24 of any one of those looking up on Google. <laughs> if you need help with Google, just ask my wife. The Google queen. I, I said to her the other day, I said, you know, I don't know what you did all these years when you had all these questions that didn't know how to find your answer. But let me tell you something. It's not she believes everything it says, but she's not sitting there wondering anymore. 
what it says. Okay. I'm second behind her, but I'm not very far. I like answers too. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, hast redeemed us by God out of, by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made past tense, accomplished fact, hast made us unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall where? See, after 48 years of preaching, 48 and a half years now, I, November the 14th, I, I've had a UPC license since for 48 years. And I started preaching before then because you had to be preaching before they'd ever qualify you for a licensee. Let me tell you something right now. In all those years preaching, I've seen so many people receive the good things of God and walk away because their whole focus was here and now. You know why Moses is so revered? I'm sorry. If you need to go, you're welcome to, but I'm not done. And I don't know when I get to speak. Oh, yeah, I do. Next, next, <laughs> Antioch United. So, going down to verse 23, Hebrews 11, 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he, in, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured. How did he make it? How did he go through everything he went through? As seeing him who is invisible. That's how he made it. Because he saw him who was invisible. In other words, he was looking to God more than he was looking at people. If you're looking at people, you're not going to make it. <laughs> if you're looking at people, you're not going to make it. Because if you want to judge God by people, you're going to find an excuse to not be, a, 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 be saved. You're going to find an excuse to doubt. You're going to find an excuse to complain. You're going to find an excuse if you're looking at people. But Moses wasn't looking at people. He was looking at God. That's how he endured. He wasn't looking at here and now. He was looking at the future. He wasn't looking at people. He was looking at the one who was invisible. Well, how do you see the invisible one? With spiritual eyes. And he chose 
to suffer with the people of God and shows a long-term reward over a short-term comfort. And let me tell you something. These last three minutes, I have just given you the reason why everybody that's backslidden is backslidden and everybody's still saved, still saved. People can give you all kind of different reasons why they're not part of the church anymore. But all of their reasons fall down to this one thing right here. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Jesus handpicked Peter. And had to call him out in front of the disciples, everybody else, and said, Get behind me, Satan. You don't understand the things of being God. The same God, just 10 or 12, 14 verses earlier, he said, Oh, Peter, you understood this because the, the fathers revealed this unto you. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And then just 10, 12, 14 verses later, he says, Get behind me, Satan, because you don't understand the things that be of God. Judas wasn't the only messed up one that was chosen. Why would God choose messed up people? Because when he uses them, everybody knows it's God. Everybody knows it's God, not them. Hey, you're not sitting here because of my sterling personality. You're sitting here in spite of my personality. You know it's true. I'm no fool. I know. You have endured. <laughs> you haven't enjoyed it. Oh, the bishop preaching tonight. I thought we were going to make it through this year without having to hear this again. Oh, God, have mercy. Hey. I don't, I don't know. You'll never believe this. You will never believe this. But I say to God, can I ever talk about something people want to hear? People like? Are you ever going to let me do that? Ever? Even one time? Do I always have to talk about stuff people don't want to hear? Hey. What are you looking at? Who are you looking at? I got to hurry here, okay? So, he says, verse 9, reading fast. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us by, to, thy, to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. For thou hast made us unto our God kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth. And we shall reign. Notice, you have made us. It's, that's a done deal. But reigning, ruling and reigning on the earth is a future tense thing. Do you see that? The, the verbs are very clear there. You have redeemed us. You have made us kings and priests. And we shall reign. And in the time, in the timing of this. 
They had to be in heaven. They weren't on earth. And they were kings and priests. But they weren't ruling and reigning yet. And I beheld it. I beheld and I heard a loud voice. I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne of the beast and the elders. And the number of them were 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that in them heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and upon the, uh, unto the lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And 420 elders fell down and worship him that liveth forever and ever. Now, chapter 6, verse 1. And I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals, or the first seal in this case. Everything starting with chapter 6, verse 1, is something God's doing. Well, no, people were doing, no, 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 no. The Lord used the Assyrians to punish Israel. He used the Babylonians to punish Israel. He's used people many times in the past as instruments to punish, not because they were righteous. I can't stay on that because I'll never get done. Chapter 20 again. And I saw a dragon, I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottom's pit and a great chain in his hand and I, I laid hold on the dragon that is that, that old serpent which is the devil and Satan and bound him a thousand years and cast him in the bottom of his pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled and after that he must be loosed a little season and I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus for the word of God which had not worshipped the beast neither his image neither had received his mark and therefore upon on their foreheads or in their or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the, the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years was finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with Him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of the prison, out of his prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and, com- and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, Jerusalem. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are. And shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. I saw a great white throne, the third judgment. First judgment is the appearing, second judgment is the kingdom, third judgment, and the final judgment is the great white throne judgment. This is what happens at the conclusion of the thousand years. True, the book of Revelation doesn't give us a lot of information on, on what happens during that thousand years, except we're ruling and reigning with Christ on earth. Christ will not only be God, 
the visible representation of God, but he will be the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the ruler of all kings, sitting on the throne of David in the city of Jerusalem, ruling over the world. And as Revelation 19 says, he has a name written, God of gods, king of kings, Lord of lords. I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead, which is... is it, 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 which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which is it, which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. That's not talking about you and I. We've already been saved. We were judged by being raptured the first time around. Now, (laughs) here's an amazing thing. When this was written, and even up until a decade or two or three ago, this would have been preposterous to have said. But what about those people that fell overboard and were eaten by fish? And their, their, their remains passed through the fish's body and, and ended up scattered all over the place. This is not possible, except we now know. That every molecule of your body is marked with your specific DNA. And nobody else has ever had DNA just like yours. So every molecule that's ever been you is out there someplace. And at the res- at the, as a resurrection from the dead, the Lord's going to bring every molecule of every body back together and put that body back together. And the people that stand before the great white throne are going to stand in the body in which they lived and sinned in. What about those that were burned and turned into ashes? The law of conservation of energy... The law of, cons- uh, uh, law of conservation of momentum. Other such laws as this let us know that even if you're burned up, you, you exist someplace. Everything that was you exists in some form. Now, that's just your body. It's not you. you the soul is you. But your body is going to stand with your soul in your body resurrected before the great white throne judgment, not you. Because you don't have that option. You either make the rapture or you don't make it at all. Well, Brother Wright, we're not doing people any favor if we pray them through. No, you don't don't understand. If we don't get involved with the lost and preach the gospel, then we're lost. You ever heard of the rock and the hard spot? In other words, you don't have a right to play God. All we can do is preach the gospel to every creature just like we were told to do. 
That's why Paul said we're the saver, not savior, saver of death unto some and the saver of life unto others. It's not our choice. We just obey God. Now, I'm not going to read the comment a lot. I don't plan on it. I've still got seven minutes before nine o'clock. But listen to this. And I saw a new heaven, Revelation 21, 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. How different is this new earth? And there was no more sea. <laughs> there was no more sea. In other words, this is not a refurbished model on sale as new. That's what the manufacturers today do. They take your rejects, refurbish it. Right? They refurbish it, sell it as new. Oh, by the way, this is really not new, it's refurbished. This is a new heaven and new earth as proven by the fact on this new earth there is no more sea. Now, it don't really it doesn't really matter to me. Some of it might be a big deal. That means no more fishing. <laughs> Not that that's I'm sure you wouldn't refuse to go to heaven because there's no more fishing. Verse 2, and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I saw a great voice, heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. All of this is the condition on the new earth after the great white throne judgment. This is not the millennial kingdom. This is after the millennial kingdom. What is talked about here is divided by the great white throne judgment. The millennial kingdom, great white throne judgment, and then this. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and they shall... There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Write, because these things are true and faithful. I don't know what you're doing here but you really need to decide this if you're just trying to keep your premiums paid up on your on your accident insurance policy where god fixes everything for you or your life insurance policy or whatever there are places to go that will help you do that 
I do not make apologies for you that our first and foremost priority here is not helping you to make your life here better. <laughs> do we want your family life to be what it should be scripturally? Yes. Do, do we, you know, the Bible says, he that will not work, neither shall he eat. So do we, do we think it's a good idea to be faithful to your finances and to be a good steward of your finances, take care of, you know, he that will not, he that provides not for his own is denied the faith and worse than an infidel. So yes, it's scriptural for us to, we're in the world, but not of the world, but we're still in the world and we've got to eat and got to sleep, got to have some place, we got to take care of our families. All that's important. But it is not our first priority. And if it is your first priority, your priorities are skewed and out of balance with the word of God. Because this is not heaven. This is not heaven. And Jesus already said it. The last words he spoke before he prayed and then was crucified the next day. These things have I spoken unto you that in me You might have peace in the world. You shall have tribulation. Greek word is literally thalipsis, which means things that cause you pressure. And it's frequently modernly translated trouble. In the world, you're not going to have a smooth, easy time of it. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Just put your trust in me and I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. I'll be with you. You be with me. I'll be with you. We'll make it through all of this because this is temporary. It's temporary. It's temporary. I was talking to someone the other day and they had a relative that was 99 years old. And they said to them, just the other day, and they said that they said to their relative, you know, you've had a long life. And they looked back and said to, to the individual talking to them, no, it's been really short. 99 years is short. What is life? But it's a vapor. It's just a vapor. And if you're trying to grab a hold of a vapor and give all your focus and attention to a vapor, (sighs) next year my eldest son will have been married 25 years. His mother said to me today, you believe we have a son who's about to celebrate 25 years of marriage. I remember being married 25 years. Seems like yesterday rather than 23 years ago. So Carrie Fisher dies on Sunday and her mother Debbie Reynolds dies on Monday. And she wasn't really sick. It's just a vapor. It's just a vapor. Now, either God is the cruelest practical joker you've ever, that's ever existed. Or he's got a plan and a purpose. 
And you got to decide what's going to be your priority. Your way or his way. I'm not hyping anything. I'm saying this as I close. Sister Wright, if you'll come. I'm saying this to you. I believe that 2017 is going to be one of, if not the greatest years in the history of this church. I believe that with everything in me. There's too many things that have happened and that are happening. But God is not going to use people who are in this for the temporal side effect of just building a bigger church or building a bigger crowd or building a bigger name he's not using people like that or people who are involved for self-promotion God's not going to use them the people he's going to use are people like Moses that's looking beyond Oh, I'm sorry. I've taken it off the screen and that's okay. These are verses that really speak to me on a regular basis. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, and that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believe, therefore, I've spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us, raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you for all things are for your sakes that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day for our light affliction which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. What's your focus on? If the eternal is your focus, you're not afraid of sickness. You're not afraid of death. You're not afraid of suffering. If your focus is the eternal. Because this too shall pass. Everything is temporary. Therapist told me today I shouldn't be up here without the boot on. Tried to protect his foot standing on like this. Said it wouldn't be good. Uh, I, I don't know if it's pride or whatever it is, but no. Yet I stand here paying the price for, because the last hour feels like my feet are on fire. I'm not saying that to be a hero. The only reason it's time to quit because 
I just now really begin to realize how bad they've been hurting. Because looking at things that are eternal, it's not important. Not important. Some of you are going through far worse things right now. Very, very difficult things. We're about to start a new year. It's like the lady. Where, where was she? Pennsylvania. That wrote on Facebook on Monday. I feel like I'm dying inside. There's nothing to go on for. Husband's at work. He comes home. The police are there. She suffocated her one-year-old son and laid down the bed and shot her brains out because it was the best solution, she said, for her. We're living in a suffering world because everybody looks at the here and now. And the idea that anybody has a perfect life is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. I don't know anybody with a perfect life. I don't know anybody's life I'd want to switch mine with. I wouldn't trade my life for anybody. And yet, the truth is, I've had at least twice as many hard, hard days than I have easier days. And I'm not the only one in this room like that. Why are we Christians? That's the good question, isn't it? Have you figured out why you're a Christian? It's not so somebody will fix everything you don't like. It's so you can be a part of Him. And you can participate with Him. Life's not easy. It was never designed to be easy. But He's called us to be a part of Him. Father, I thank you for every individual that's here. Every person that will hear this lesson in the future or that's heard it tonight let your word your spirit speak to us remember our frame it's just made out of the dirt we're just old clay pots father everything in us that's of value is you you're the treasure we are we are just earthen vessels be glorified father the excellence of the power belongs to you. Be glorified, Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Ever you have to do. Let me be lost for eternity, far above all else. I must be saved, far above all else. Why don't you stand and sing this with me, please? must be, be saved, saved. Oh, far above all else I must be, be saved. saved 